Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but most storylines, whether it's in a film or a movie or a book, most storylines tend to take like a common theme and a common um, direction, a common template, if you like. And I would like to suggest to you that it is this kind of template. Um, there's a kind of a normal. So when you're introduced to the story, when you're introduced to the characters, you see the setting and that is what normal life is like. There's then a major event that occurs. There's then something that has to happen that is a solution to that major event. And then at the end of the story, you hear that there is a new normal established and they lived happily ever after. Like there is a new normal established. To help us understand that a little bit more, I want to use um, the opening credits to one of the greatest sitcoms to ever have been on television, in my opinion. Um, so see if you can notice these themes in the opening credits to this. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the opening credits to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The good news is, it is all available on Netflix, that if you have never watched the entire series of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, go home, watch it, cancel your plans for this afternoon, watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, re-watch it. I'm in the middle of re-watching it at the moment um, and reliving my childhood. I absolutely love it. But I don't know whether you spotted the template of storytelling in there. You see, the normal is there. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground, was where I spent most of my days, chilling out, Max and relaxing, all cool and all shooting some people outside of school. That was normal life for Will Smith. That was what he did every day, day in, day out. And then there's a major event that occurs when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighbourhood. I got in one little fight and my mum got scared and said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel-Air. You see, there's the major event, the fight that happens that disturbs the normal, that it's not normal life anymore because this fight has happened. And then the solution occurs. A whistle for a cab, and when it came near, the license plate said fresh and had a dice in the mirror. If anything, I could say this, this cab was rare, but I thought, now nah, forget it. Thank you, young people, for helping me out there. You see, the solution is his mum makes a move all the way out to Bel Air to live with his auntie and uncle. And then you see the new normal established. I pulled up to the house about seven or eight and I yelled to the cabbie, yo home, smell you later. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne. Fantastic, well done everybody. You see, the new normal is that he's moved to Bel Air and he's living with his auntie and uncle. And that new normal is the context in which the whole series is based you see, when we look at stories, you see these occurrences, normal, major event, solution, new, normal. And actually, if you look at stories that have happened to you in your personal life, there will have been what life was like before that event, the major event, the solution to that, and then a new normal is established. Guys, I want to suggest to you this morning that if you have encountered Jesus, if you have truly met and encountered the love and the transformational power of God, then there should be a new normal that is established in your life. You know, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. The old normal is not there anymore and there is a new normal for us to live by. You know, we can sometimes think that when we... Um, when we want to encounter God, the, like you hear people's testimonies and you think, wow, like so much happened to you and you met Jesus in the middle of that and now your life's totally different. But for most of us, it can feel like pretty normal. 
And we sometimes think that something has to be wrong in order to encounter God. But God wants to meet us, not just in our circumstances, but in our normal, everyday life. And I want to share with you a story of a, of a guy who did Alpha, the Alpha course. We run Alpha here at Life Central. Um, and this guy didn't do our Alpha course, but he did the Alpha course. And um, he shares, you'll hear it in the story, he shares that actually his life was pretty normal. He didn't feel like he was missing out on things and didn't feel like he had a major crisis, but God met him in the midst of his normality. Have a look at the screens. I definitely didn't feel like I had a hole in my life that needed filling. I wasn't like, oh, I'm missing something. Is there more to life? I wasn't like that. Um, I was like, I'm fine. I like my job, I like my life. And then after I graduated, I moved down to London for a job. Um, moved into a flat share, and one of the guys I lived with was a Christian. And then there was like this niggling thing with this guy, who I was like, yeah, what's, what's this that he's got that I haven't got? And so the actual thing that sort of like challenged my life was seeing somebody live with more like purpose, joy, meaning than I had. Um, and so that was like the trigger that made me want to explore it. And he was the guy who persuaded me to, to try Alpha. I was really nervous. Just because I'd never really been to church before, I didn't know what to expect, um, and I just didn't think there'd be anybody else there who was like me. And I was like, I want proper arguments. I want to, like, really get into this. I want you to persuade me. I want, like, the facts. I was surprised that week by week that it allowed me to sort of, like, wrestle with some of these things. And so when they said, now nah, there's a weekend away, I was like, OK, if I'm going to complete this thing, then I want to go on the weekend and I want to finish it. And on the Saturday evening, we had this session on how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit. At the end of that session, the guy who was leading it said, if you sort of, rather than like talking about it, he said, if you want now to be filled with the Holy Spirit, put your hands out in front of you and pray and ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I had this like weird moment where I was um, gripping the chair in front of me, like fighting with myself as to whether or not I was like going to sort of open myself up and like, put my hands out. And nothing happened. And so I sort of like walked out. Then I thought, well, there's two explanations. Either God isn't real and everybody here is in some kind of shared delusion. But I didn't really buy into that because I could see that it was real for them. Or God was real, but he just didn't want to know me. So I went back into my little bedroom where I was staying. And then I... I was like really wrestling with it and I, uh, it's really embarrassing, but I was like lying on the bed and I um, started crying on my bed, like face down on the bed. Uh, and then I like prayed for the first time. So I sort of said, oh, like, God, I'm really sorry that I'm this bad that you don't, that you want to know all these other people, but you won't know me. Um, but like, I think you are real, but I just want to like, will you, I just want to know you properly. So I sort of got this sense that I needed to turn over in my bed. So I turned over and then in that moment, somehow I just felt an overwhelming, like, peace. It was sort of like a deep down, like, joy. Um, and I just knew in that moment that God was real and that he loved me. Like, it, it didn't answer all of my questions, but they just seemed so much less important. And so then I uh, sat up on the end of my bed and I was like, well, what am I going to do now? So I just literally flipped my Bible open and read the first verse I came across, which was this verse in Romans, which says, those who live with the Spirit desire what the Spirit desires. And... Um, for me, I knew that I didn't have to do anything. I just knew that God would do the rest, that I just sort of had to say yes, and then God would change me and transform me and help me to live this life. It's fantastic, isn't it? That somebody who's just living a normal life wasn't in the midst of a crisis, but yeah, 
his friends, his housemates, normal life and the way that he followed Jesus had such an impact on him that it led him to a major event where he encountered God for himself and a new normal was established. Some of you maybe who wouldn't call yourself Christians, maybe you're here for the first time like, and that, that's blowing your mind. Like maybe you just need to stay there and maybe God's speaking to you um, off the back of that story and where we already are in this talk and maybe you just need to stay and ponder on that. That's absolutely fine. Um, but I do want to go on and um, think about some other stuff. Um, you see, a guy called Joseph Campbell um, said that there's more complicated template to a story. He proposes this in, in the midst of like when it when it comes to thinking about fantasy novels. And he says there's a status quo, a normal that is there. And then there's a call to an adventure and an assistance. Almost like your Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee. Like the person that looks after him. And then they depart what's known as the ordinary world. They depart their normality and enter a special world that is filled with things like trials, the how they approach their crisis in the midst of what they're facing, um, treasure, result. And then there comes a moment where they leave the special world and return to the ordinary world and there's new life resolution, a new normal is established. And I was thinking about this and thinking actually... When it comes to seasons and thinking about the seasons in our life, I would say probably around 15% of our lives is spent in a special world, in a special season, a season where there is crisis going on, where, where there is a, like, stuff going on. Maybe, maybe you feel stretched. Maybe it's a season of opportunity in, in, in different seasons. But actually, Around 85% of our lives are spent in an ordinary world, our ordinary day-to-day -day routine. And I was talking to somebody about this, and they said, oh, wow, how did you find those stats? I made them up. Um, but when I, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, actually, in my life and people that I know around me, this is kind of the 85%. Most of our life is spent in normal circumstances, in our normal, ordinary, everyday world. And you know, I really believe that God is a God who meets us in our circumstances, that when we're in a season of challenge, of overwhelmness, of, of um, transition, uh, um, whatever that special season feels like, God does definitely 100% meet us in our circumstances. But God also meets us in our normal, mundane, ordinary, everyday lives. And I want to um, encourage you today to begin to think about how you can follow God, how you can engage with God, how you can connect and encounter Jesus in your normal, everyday life. You know, I want you to know that it's fine to be fine. It's okay to just be okay. I think sometimes we have to feel like we have to conjure up a crisis in order to meet God. But know that it's okay to just be all right. It's fine to be fine. Most of the time, if someone asks me if I'm all right, I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. And I mean, I'm all right. <laughs> like, it's okay to be okay. You know, the Bible is full of stories of normal people who encounter God and a new normal is established, but that new normal is ridiculous. And they become like a leader of a nation and, and fight battles and do these incredible stuff. And, and it's encouraging, but it's also sometimes a little bit intimidating that you see these normal people encounter God and they go on to do incredible things. And you're like, wow, I could never do that. I've encountered God, but I'm normally going to work. I'm normally making sure the kids are dressed. I'm normally doing all this stuff, doing the shop and all that kind of stuff. Like my normal life doesn't look like the life of Elijah or the life of Moses. Like my 
life is pretty normal in, compar- in comparison to the people in the Bible. But I want to look at um, the story of Samuel, and it's in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And Samuel, the, this story kind of starts where Samuel's a little boy, and he's serving uh, under the leadership of the priest Eli. And uh, he's kind of hanging out there, and one night he's trying to go to sleep, and he begins to hear somebody calling his voice, and he hears Samuel, Samuel. And he automatically thinks Eli is calling him. So he goes to see Eli and he's like, what, what do you want? What do you want? I heard you calling my name. And he's like, Eli's like, I didn't, didn't speak to you. Like, go back to bed. You're imagining it. So he goes back to bed. He hears his voice again. He goes and sees Eli. Eventually, Eli realizes that this could be God speaking to Samuel. So he says to Samuel, go back to your bed. And when you hear your name called again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Say, here I am. God, what have you got to say? So Samuel goes to bed and does that. And it says this um, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. How good is that? Like, I'm about to... Imagine if God said that to you. Imagine if God said, I'm going to do something in your street that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Like, how good is that? That is exciting, isn't it? And, and you begin to bubble with, what is it that God would say? And God begins to say some stuff to him. And then later on, towards the end of the chapter, it says this, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And like, he almost feels like that's the end of the opening credits. And it's like it's, like it's teasing you into the story of Samuel. And it's like, you know, where, where it finishes the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and it says, to sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel-Air, scene one. Like, it feels like everybody knew that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord, scene one. Cue these amazing things. So you flick over to chapter four and Samuel's barely mentioned in chapter four. Flick to chapter five, not at all mentioned. Chapter six, barely mentioned. Chapter seven, he's just about mentioned. And then chapter eight, at the start of chapter eight, it says this about Samuel. It says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. All of a sudden, five chapters later, we're at the end of his life. Like his life is gone in five chapters. Some people are like, amen, I know what that feels like. Like, in the blink of an eye in the Bible, Samuel goes from being this boy who's like, who's, who's going to be a prophet, who's going to do amazing things, so much promise, it's like a Netflix series about to happen, and then we flick five, year, five chapters later, and we see he's an old man, and he's handing on the baton to somebody else. Where on earth did Samuel's life go? Like, why is it, why is it just skipped over? Why do we miss it in these five chapters? What happened Well, if we go to the end of chapter 7, we see where Samuel spent his life. And it comes up here at the end. It says, Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. You see, he spent 30 to 40 years going from Bethel 
to Gilgal, to Mizpah, to home. From Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to home. He spent 30 to 40 years serving faithfully on this circuit, going from one place to the other, one place to the other. This new normal that God established in his life when he was a boy became the norm for 30 to 40 years. And it's not littered with loads of these amazing stories. It just kind of says Samuel got on with the normal job that God had given him and he went on it. On, on that circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to home. God's used them in his normal everyday life. And you know, when life seems normal, I think there's some questions that we can ask ourselves. And the first question I want to encourage you to begin to ask yourself is, what's your circuit? What's your circuit of connecting and encountering with God on a daily basis? How do you connect every day? You know, Leon talks a lot about having a chair or a special place that you spend time with God, that you connect with God as part of your circuit, as part of your normal, daily, ordinary routine, what's your circuit? You know, when I, um, my mate and Laura were, were dating, I lived in Manchester and then in Birmingham, but Laura was living in London. So I spent an awful lot of time commuting and traveling in my car. Um, and what I used to do is I used to say to God, okay, this is kind of dead time. I've got two hours of traveling. Um, I could just fill it with listening to talk sport and listening to Liverpool podcasts and things like that, or I could spend it with you. So I did, I did a deal with God, and I said, God, I'm going to give you the first hour. So the first half of the journey I'll spend with you, and I'll listen to the Bible on audio book. I'll listen to maybe a podcast. I'll spend some time, maybe just switch everything off and just, just spend time praying and listening to God. And I'd do that for an hour, and then I'd reward myself by listening to talk sport or, or a Liverpool podcast. And sometimes I did end up doing the whole journey, spending it with God. But, you know, that was, that was part of my normal routine. It was part of my ordinary life. And I found a way to, for my circuit to fit connecting with God. Jesus had a circuit. Jesus would regularly get up early and go and retreat and find some space to connect with God. Now, some of you are like, at the thought of getting up early. But find a way that works with you. Find a way for your, your circuit to connect you and, in, and help you encounter Jesus on a daily basis. Maybe you need a monthly circuit of you, you do something, maybe spend some time retreating for, for a couple of hours. Find a way to build a circuit that helps you to connect with God. You know, um, I heard Andy Hawthorne speak, who um, is the CEO of the Message Trust, uh, who are the organisation we've partnered with, with uh, doing the Hire Tour. And I heard him talk about his story. And he said there was, a, there was a friend of his grandma's who prayed for him and his two brothers from the day that he was born till the day that she died. Every day, day in, day out, she would pray for him and his two brothers and there was times in his 20s where he totally turned his back on God, where he wasn't interested, where he was pushing away God, where he was far, far, far away from God. And yet this woman continued to pray for him. And now he's leading an organisation that is reaching millions of people all across the UK and now going internationally. God is using this man mightily. And not just because of that woman's prayers, but I bet you those woman's, that woman's prayers and her circuit had something to do with it. You see, let's have a circuit that regularly connects us with God. Let's have our circuit that brings people that we love, that we are desperate to know Jesus. Let's bring that circuit before God. The second question is, where are you consistent? You know, your greatest impact could be the thing that you do most regularly. 
It could be something that you do over and over again. Samuel went from Bethel to Mizpah to, I forgot it now, (laughs) to Gilgal, sorry, Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to home. He went on that regular circuit. He went on that. He was consistent. The people in those towns knew that Samuel was coming back. They knew that for 30 to 40 years he had served consistently and had been going there time after time after time. He was consistent in the way that he did it. You know, um, as part of my role, we've been engaging with schools more in in the last few months. And we've been in one school where uh, there's a member of this church who's a teacher there. And uh, we were in the school on a Friday lunchtime and I was chatting to him in the staff room and he was telling me about this tradition that they'd had for 20 plus years. He's been a part of that school and teaching there for over 20 years. And him and a couple of other teachers had this tradition of what they called Fat Boy Fridays. And basically one of them would bring in like a a really nice lunch and a bigger lunch. And they would enjoy Friday lunchtime and have this amazing lunch together. And it was a bit more exciting than the standard sandwiches and crisps. And um, we were were there and, and I was chatting to him. And it was amazing to see the consistency of his relationship with people, how that's given them opportunity See, the only reason that we were in the school in the first place is because an email went round the staff saying, we're looking for some people to do some assemblies. Does anybody know anybody? And because he's consistent, because he's served and been a member of staff for 20 odd years, people know him, people trust him, people trust that he's not a nutter. And he put my name forward to to go and do an assembly. And, you know, because of his consistency, we're now able to be in that school sharing about what it looks like to be a Christian. We're able to invite young people to come to our youth club on a Friday night, all because of that person's consistency. So where are you consistent? Where are you regularly at? Who are you regularly, consistently engaging with? You know, I think one of the successes of Life Central Church, formerly Zion Christian Centre, is actually the longevity of Leon being here and consistently leading with diligence and integrity our church. The consistency is so, so important. Where you're consistent is where you can be authentic when you do enter a special season. Because when you're consistently in relationship with people, you can't pretend to be somebody that you're not. And when you enter a special season, a difficult, a challenging season, people begin to see the authenticity of your faith and the authenticity of who God says you are. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. I wonder whether some of us have given up on consistency whether some people here have been consistent for years and years maybe with inviting family members and friends to church maybe consistently uh, uh, applying for this job or consistently being in relationship with people and trying to share our faith and just feeling like I'm getting nowhere here I wonder whether God would say to you stand firm let nothing move you keep being consistent Where can you be more consistent? Who can you be more consistent with in your day-to-day normal life? The third question that I want us to consider is, where are you called? The story of Esther in the Bible is, is this amazing story of an ordinary, normal girl who wins a beauty contest to be married to the king. And she ends up married to the king. She ends up being queen. Um, 
and she lives in the palace and she hears um, that the king is planning to do something awful to the Jews, her people. And her cousin Mordecai pulls her to one side and he says, maybe God has put you as queen for this moment. Maybe you're in the, you're in the palace for this very reason. Maybe God has called you for such a time as this. See, maybe you are where you are because God has called you to be there. You know, it most certainly takes a calling to be a teacher, to be a plumber, to be an electrician, to be whatever you have, um, whatever your career is, wherever you spend your time, wherever your normal life is, maybe God has called you to be there for such a time as this. You know, you were made on purpose, for a purpose, for such a time as this. Maybe God would want to use you in where he has called you to be. So think about where are you called? Maybe you've been called to your street to have the neighbours that you have got for a reason. Maybe you've been called to be part of the form group that you're in in school or college. Maybe you've been called to the desk that you've been assigned in your office. Maybe you've been called to be on that till that you're on every time. Maybe God has called you to be where he has called you for such a time as this. In 1 Corinthians, again, it says this, Brothers and sisters, think, what, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. I totally agree with that. Uh, not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, sorry, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God used the shameful things of this world to, to sorry, God used the foolish things of the world to shame the wise things of the world. You might think that your life is ordinary and normal, maybe sometimes a little bit foolish, but I know that God wants to use that to bring glory to him. God wants to use that to have an impact in our world, whether it is our normal, ordinary, day-to-day life and season. The final question that I want to look at is what do you carry? Every day, wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, I always carry my iPhone. My iPhone is really important to me. Um, I'm not obsessed or addicted to my phone. I hope not anyway. Um, But in my phone, I carry my contacts. So if I don't carry my phone, I can't get in touch with my wife and say, I'm going to be late home tonight. I can't FaceTime my parents once a week like I'm supposed to. If I don't... Um, carry my phone. I can't take pictures. I can't take pictures of the food I eat and share them with everybody. If I don't carry my phone, I don't have access to my photographs from the last 10 years because they're all stored on iCloud and I access them through my phone. I don't know where I'm going if I don't carry my phone because my sat-nav is on there. I don't know what I'm doing because my diary is on my phone. Like, my iPhone is so important. I carry my iPhone. My pockets should be extremely heavy because my iPhone carries so much of what my life is about. See, when I carry my iPhone, it's important because I can then live out the work that I'm I'm doing and do the job that I'm called to do. You see, I wonder 
whether you understand that when you are in Christ, you are a carrier of hope. You know, the Bible says it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, you are the hope of glory. That you carry hope, you carry the, the transformational power of Jesus Christ into your normal, everyday, ordinary circumstances. When you're on the bus, you are a hope carrier. When you're traveling to work, you're a hope carrier. When you're in that meeting that you don't want to be in, you are a hope carrier. When you're being a fantastic parent or a parent who is struggling, you are a carrier of hope. In our normal, everyday lives, we need to understand that we are carriers of hope. Peter and John, when they went on a normal day off to the temple to pray, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. Um, they meet a layman and, they, and he asks them for money. And Peter and John say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. They understood what they carried. They might not have had cash on them at the time, but they had the transformational power of Jesus that they were carrying. When we go into our normal circumstances, our pockets should be heavy with hope. I wonder if the bands can make their way up, back up to the stage. Just as a wrap up, I, I want you to know that when your life seems normal, God can be at work. We serve a God who is anything but normal. The God that we love is not an ordinary God. He is an extraordinary God. And he is desperate for us to engage with him. Yes, in the difficult seasons, in the challenging seasons, but also in the normal seasons. And it, we're going to sing a song together that's a little bit old now. Um, but the song just speaks so much of what I've been talking about. And the song's called Be My Everything. And it talks about God in my living, God in my breathing, God in my waking, God in my sleeping, God in my laughing, God in my weeping. Like in all the seasons that we faced in our very, very normal, mundane, ordinary seasons and our special, difficult and challenging seasons. God, would you be my everything? And then we go on to sing that Bible verse that I just talked about. Christ in me, the hope of glory, would you be my everything? You see, I think the only response when it comes to thinking about our normal circumstances where we spend the majority of our lives is, God, would you be my everything? God, everything that I am, everything I do, would you be my everything? So why don't we stand together? And uh, as we do that, let me just pray. Father God, I thank you that love each and every one of us God that you you want to encounter each and every one of us whether we're in a normal season or a challenging season God I pray that as we sing this song God would you help us to consider where our circuit is how we can more regularly engage and encounter you God I pray that you would would you Show us the places and the, and the relationships that we need to be more consistent in. God, would you show us where you have called us for such a time as this? God, would you help us to understand what it is that we carry? So God, as we sing this song, would it be a prayer?
a promise and offering to you, God, would you be our everything in our normal, ordinary, mundane lives? God, would you be our everything?